0: Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal Podcast. I am your host, Scott Brady, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Scott. For today's guest, we have Sean Holman. Sean has been around the off-road and overland community for decades. In fact, he's just recently celebrated almost 20 years with publications like Four-Wheeler, Off road and others. Sean has driven Jeeps and Toyotas and everything in between. In fact, recently he just completed a significant trip using Rivian R1Ts to go across the Trans America Trail. We get into the details on how Sean builds his vehicles, some basic insights onto four wheel drive travel. He also gives some really thoughtful insights on some new trails that are available in Southern California that take days and days to cross for the Overland Traveler. This is a really great conversation. Sean is an awesome guy, uh, great talent, so special for us to have him on the podcast today. So please enjoy our wide-ranging conversation with Sean Holman. This content is brought to you by Overland Journal, our premium quality print publication. The magazine was founded in 2006 with the goal of providing independent equipment and vehicle reviews along with the most stunning adventures and photography. We care deeply about the countries and cultures we visit and share our experiences freely with our readers. We also have zero advertorial policy and do not accept any advertiser compensation for our reviews. By subscribing to Overland Journal, you're helping to support our employee-owned, and veteran-owned publication. Your support also provides resources and funding for content like you are watching or listening to right now. You can subscribe directly on our website at overlandjournal.com so Sean Holman thank you so much for being on the podcast man
1: uh, I uh, had to bring you a trailer so I figured <laughs> kill two birds with one stone right well we've been we've
0: been talking about having you come out here for at least four or five years
1: it's been yeah yeah it's been some time. Le- well and then you know I, I get you know grief from these guys over here because they're like <laughs> you were in Prescott <laughs> <laughs> you were at Center Force and you didn't come by or you were at so-and- so didn't come yeah, by can so' take you out for beer so now the center force guys are going to be mad that I saw you and not them. So I'm cheating on them this time. So you
2: know what? I, I love that. I so love that. tell me more about that.
1: Is it Prescott or Prescott? Because that's, that's always the big thing. Nobody knows how to pronounce it. So. Okay. So
2: I do
0: have a story about this. Okay. I have a story about this. I was at the, you've been to crown King. I have the back the back yep. road to crown yes. King. It's a great four drive road. Yep. And you get there and this is, there's this cool old hotel and, and a bar and yep. everything like that. And I pulled up to the bar and, and, uh, I ordered a Prescott an ale and this old guy looks over at me and he goes, He's like, you know, it's called a Prescott ale. <laughs> and I said, Well, <clears throat> my name's Scott. Yeah, and, until, and until exactly. people start calling me Skit, <laughs> yeah, call, it, and he's like, Fair enough. All right. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I got no argument for that. I got no argument for that.
1: So today Prescott. we've had a bunch of storms come through. It's been super wet out here just in the, in the Southwest, right? So I left home this morning. Beautiful day, yeah. right? Yesterday was, you know, about 65 degrees and sunny. I'm crossing the desert, massive sandstorm, 30, 40 mile an hour winds. I get up in the mountains on my way, here, snow everywhere. I'm like, <laughs> I think I've seen everything
0: today. Yeah, you got the whole like, spectrum. There, yeah. There's
1: a bunch of snow in
2: Prescott right now. There's a ton. Um, especially like a little higher up in elevation. My brother-in-law has like two feet.
1: That's a lot of snow.
2: And I have like, well, we have like inches. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> That's the nice thing about Prescott weather though. It's, yeah. it's just kind of... You, you get a wait, taste of yeah.
1: everything, but there's never anything too extreme. In you get direction. all f- you get all four seasons, yeah. and I
0: think that's why a lot of Californians end up here. Yeah. I mean, so speaking of California, I believe that's where you were born,
1: right? Yep, yep, born and raised. And everybody keeps asking me when I'm going to leave, <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be the uh, the last guy to turn the lights off and hold the carpet down. So, <laughs> listen, I, I had this conversation with my wife, and she said, "You know, if we ever went somewhere, where would we go?" I'm like, "Well." I'm going to go somewhere that's a really red state. So I'm like, what's the most red? Oh, Wyoming. And she goes, oh, it snows there, right? I'm like, yeah. She goes, Man, I don't want to go anywhere where there's snow. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Look at the map again. I'm like, you know, Tennessee, that, that, everybody's going to Tennessee. That'd be pretty nice. She goes, don't they have like freezing rain there? <laughs> yeah. She goes, and, and big bugs. I'm like, oh well, yeah, ticks fall out of the tree. You know, last time I was there, I'm like, what? That's not fair. Like, how are they, they're, they're paratrooping. All right. So that's not going to happen. So I'm like, you know, uh, the Gulf coast, Gulf coast would be amazing. She goes, humidity. There's a lot of humidity there, right? I'm like, all right. Desert Southwest, you know, do we go Nevada? Do we, you know, get a rancher? They're sure. going to Arizona. She goes, ah, I can't do anything over a hundred. I'm like, well, what exactly do you want? She goes, well, I want it to be about 70 year round. I go, we live there. <laughs> we're two miles from the beach. Like there's, we're not leaving. There's no, you know, the taxes suck. Everything sucks. But I bought my house in, uh, the current house, 2018. So this year will be, uh, six years, I guess. It's a it's gone up sixty six percent in value. Yeah, in wow. that time, that's almost Prescott in the last. year. I, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's absolutely you know. So like, why would I ever leave? Like I'm I'm in real estate. I did really well in my first house. I have a really nice house that yeah. there's no reason to go. Um, yeah, taxes are high. Yeah. All that stuff's the politics suck, all that stuff. But if you don't turn on the TV and you, and you fire just go up to the beach and you just go to the beach and you have a cigar <laughs> on the porch or some whiskey and you turn on your gas stove with reckless abandon, you don't really care about the <laughs> rest what's of the it. Gas st- there, yeah, I don't
0: know what the deal is. but oh. somebody, yeah, somebody decided that yeah, Ga- yeah, gas stoves were now Ga- honestly, persona. Yeah, we've only been using for 120 another, years. It's another but
1: thing that th- here's my thing. Yo, what's Leave up? my stove alone. Like I purposely <laughs> took out an electric stove, Ran a gas line so that I could cook over fire. Yeah, like I yeah. did that on purpose. Yeah. Now, now you're you're messing with that. And it bothers <laughs> me. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's yeah. like so elemental. And how long to are you? Human. Are you using it? Well, the thing is, like, so I, I live in this neighborhood that uh, we had a Boeing plant that's uh, now being parcelled out for like Amazon warehousing and stuff like that. This Boeing plant uh, supported Saturn V and all these great moonshot programs and and all the stuff back in the '60s. It was part of the shuttle program in the uh, you know '90s and 2000s and. So, when they built the plant back in the mid-60s, all the houses were like, it's, this is the future. So, all the houses were all electric. So, it was electric mm. stoves and electric furnaces. And then the only thing that was gas were the water heaters. Uh-huh. And so, my house, I'm like, all right, I got a gas line here, but <laughs> I'm going to get rid of this electric stuff. So, I took out the uh, water heater because it was in an upstairs closet, which like I'll, I had you know, nightmares of the thing letting go and ruining the whole house. Did a tankless on the outside. And nice. then that, that gas line that fed it. I was having my whole house repiped because it was galvanized pipe, 50 years old, horrible idea. So I'm like, Hey, did you guys do gas. Yeah. What do you need? I'm like, can you run it through the ceiling to my kitchen? Cause I'm having my kitchen remodeled in a few months. So they just dropped it in. I'm like, yep,
2: got my gas. So anyway,
1: <laughs> that's why, uh, that's why I get triggered. Cause I'm like, I, Put
2: effort into making sure I got my gas stove. It is supposedly nicer to cook over. It I, is. I think so. I don't know how to cook.
1: Oh, well. well yeah. We can ask Laura. She'll know. Yeah. The answer to that I mean, question. I burn water. I put water on the stove. That's and why it he's just so disappears.
2: skinny. It never sh- it goes away. I got my beer belly.
1: Hey, you don't have to cook beer, so.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, it's funny. People, you get all the calories. P- people do talk smack about california in particular here but it is of course it, it is the most beautiful state it's really gorgeous. i mean you, utah yeah, is yeah. beautiful but it's kind of it's beautiful in, in a, a singular way, yeah, way exactly. like yeah. it, it's the stark kind of red rocks mm-hmm. and whatever california has it all I we, mean,
1: we literally have where i live in orange county i live in huntington beach you could surf in the morning and snowboard in the afternoon yeah. people don't realize how close the mountains are to mm-hmm. southern california proper tallest mountain in the lower forty-eight. Yep. Which Big, is right next
2: to the lowest place, right? I mean,
1: yeah, Badwater in uh, in Death Valley. We've got forests, we've got desert, forests. W- massive the Mojave Desert and Sonoran Desert coming together, huge, yeah, uh, unbelievable. Huge. And this is what a lot of people don't realize. I've got a lot of friends who've moved out of state, and one of my friends is like, you know, uh, I'm thinking about moving to Tennessee, and I said, okay, that's that's great, but you like off roading? He's like, yeah, because there's no off roading. He goes, what? I said, we are so lucky because out in the West, California, especially. You know, you guys are have a lot of Indian reservations that you have to navigate from in Arizona. California doesn't really have that. We just have a ton of BLM land. The further east you go, obviously, you get to Texas, Montana, all that. It's, it's, all, know, private. it's all private. It's ranches. Yeah. You know, everything east of the Mississippi is private off-road parks for the most part. Yeah. So the ability to go out, I mean, we have the East Mojave Heritage Trail, which is 733 miles long. It is one of the most incredible. It it may be. I mean, you can fight me on this. I'll go on record <laughs> saying it's it's the best overlanding trail in the United States. It's that epic. You, you Let's guys talk. Heard, you about guys it. Heard it. You're yeah.
2: enthusiastic.
1: Yeah, I want to yeah. tell me. More. Tell me some more stories. All right. That. So most of the people who have traveled to California, like if you go to you know Utah, you go to Moab or you go to San Hollow, right? Like those are the places you go. San Rafael as well. A lot of people from out of state they want to do the Mojave Road. The Mojave yeah. Road is the original original wagon road into uh, California. So. That road was used by the Spanish missionaries, used by the you know natives. They traded with the coast. It's 138 miles long from the Colorado River into Barstow. And uh, it was started by a gentleman by the name of Dennis Casebeer, who passed away a few years ago. And it's overseen by the Mojave Desert Heritage and Cultural Which Association. Which you're involved with. So I'm on the board of directors. Yeah. To make a really long story slightly less long, when he developed the Mojave Road, there's a mailbox that you sign in. So everybody yeah, right. always takes a picture of the flag in the mailbox. The reason that mailbox exists is so that there's a record for the BLM about traffic on the road. So once the road started getting popular, they're like, hey, Dennis, can you go out and map out this new trail to take some pressure off the Mojave Road? So Dennis spent years mapping out the East Mojave Heritage Trail. And the East, the, uh, we call it the EMHT, has four guidebooks for four segments, and it will take about 10 days to do it right. Maybe, wow. f- maybe two weeks. Wow. You, you can't bonsai through it. I knew I mean, nothing about this. Yeah, yeah, I
2: didn't either. Nothing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he basically creates this trail and then in 19, and, and publishes the books. And it's only alive for a little while before 1994, Bill Clinton signs the Desert Protection Act and puts wilderness areas all over this trail. So Dennis felt betrayed by the BLM because he had so much money Into it. He had the books into it. They asked him to do it. Yeah. And then they they go and close all the land. So it basically died until 20, I think 19 when Billy Creech, who's now the president of MDHCA. Yep. He wrote, wrote, wrote a story for, us, for Expedition yeah. Portal on yeah. EMHT, but with Dennis's blessing, he said, can I do a retrace of it and I'll route everything and make it compliant and legal. And Dennis gave him his blessing. And I went from thirty miles or something uh, to 733 because of all the go arounds. Mm. It is epic on if you are an overlander and you want to have that, that experience of being away from everybody, and you don't want while. to do international, yeah. there are very few places where you can go. Maybe, you know, the BDR or maybe parts of the Transamerica Trail, yep. that they did with uh, Rivian this past summer, maybe um, the Pony Express, some of those maybe. But the amount of desolation and history that this mm. takes you through, whether it's uh, petroglyphs, whether it's the first African-American homesteaders, whether it's, you know, the silver and gold rush of that era, whether it's the old, you know, Tidewater and Tonopah Railroad, um, and you see everything. You're at high elevation with Joshua trees around the Sema Dome. You are in low elevation in in the Mojave Sink down on the the southern end of it. It spans everything: sand, rock. I mean, just the the entire trail is just stunningly beautiful and remote hmm. for almost the entire length of it
0: and is it uh something that you need like can you do it with a full-size truck or so you just got to have some clearance maybe
1: i would say rear locker minimum 33s 35s and you want to have a little bit of suspension lift because there's a lot of washouts there's times where you're driving so a lot of world war ii history out there and on top of the old railroad berms they took the the rails during world war ii and, but the berms still exist and you're in and off these berms because of erosion and things like that. You're in, you're finding desert springs. There's places where there were, you know, uh, cowboy Indian fights. There were, I mean, you just, it's, it's so varied and there's so much history. Hmm. The only place to, that you can get all that history is from the books from the uh, MDHCA website. So mdhca.org and then you can you know book one two three and four starts in needles ends in needles it's a massive loop but it starts in needles goes over state line up to searchlight goes across the 15 kind of where that solar farm is in fact that solar farm that's just outside of the you know vegas right there on yeah, state line yeah, yeah. the original trace of the road cuts through their property so you have to go along the fence line you go down wow. the backside of baker on your way to death valley coliseum mine you come cool. down, uh, I was at 127 down into Baker. You go the backside of Baker, you cross over to Cocoa Weave and you know, there's a giant mining project out there. Vast, vast vistas of the SEMA dome. And you go South from there down to the Mojave road where 17 mile point is and the cinder cones are and the lava flows from there. You go down Rocky Ridge into the sink uh, and then you're way South and you end up on there. Matter of fact, the old wagon road that was like Laughlin to Prescott or something like okay. that. So that's part of the EMHT as well. So it's just, if you've ever wanted to do domestic travel and you want huh. the pen ultimate trail where you have to be on your game and be self-sufficient and reliable, that's the trail to do. Awesome. stunning. I well, want to do you, it. You heard it here from Sean. Is it earth ball with a good driver? As long as you don't mind knocking over uh, bushes and things like that. I mean, as long there's, as they're not
2: endangered bushes.
1: I would, I would say the Earth Roamer is probably too big for some sections okay. of it. Okay. But I think if you had something like a really well built uh, Prospector XL, that'd probably be like the limit of yeah, something. Okay. A really nice Forerunner with suspension on thirty threes, a Wrangler on thirty okay. fives, um, yeah. you know, things like that. I mean, you don't have to be overly built. You will need low range. There are going to be times where you need recovery boards, things like that, yeah. or potentially your winch. You should probably always go with a couple of people or have a satellite communicator. Cause you are way remote. That's, sounds remote. Yeah. I was Most at a, the people really don't go. I was in uh, a section between the, I think it was the old woman mountains in the turtle mountain wilderness area. It was getting dark and I had left my guys wanted to finish the trail and they had to leave I had an extra day. So I'm like, I'm going to keep going. Cause I'm good. And I'm pretty self-sufficient. And I got to this wilderness area. And so basically on one side of the road is one wilderness boundary. The other side of the road is the other wilderness boundary. And you basically have 40 feet of center line on the road and that's it. And there's a little turnout and it was getting dark and I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to pull over here, set up a little bit of camp, was on the side of the road and I looked around. There wasn't a headlight, a flashlight, a taillight. There wasn't a fire. I mean, it was pitch black, no moon that night. That's cool. So I made a little fire sat there and just kind of was looking at the stars. And then I start hearing military aircraft overhead and, and, you know, it sounds like a, a C-130 and probably a KC-135. I looked at my phone. That's what they are. Except the C-130 was doing orbits around me for about two hours on the pilot side. So I got a friend who, who does maintenance out of Yuma and like, Hey, just curious, these C-130s come out there. I saw, you know, my, my radar app only showed some of it. There were more planes. He goes, was he orbiting you on the pilot side? I said, Yeah, he goes, Yeah, that was a AC one thirty. So that was like a Puff the Magic Dragon or Spooky. Basically he yeah. saw my little fire in the middle of the desert and went, Oh, there's our target for the night. And basically <laughs> orbited me, and I'm sure I died several times over. Um, but it was really cool because it was it was so dark. The only light out there was the Vegas on the horizon. Yeah, you could sure. see that and maybe cool. LA on the other side.
2: So four books. Mm-hmm. Have you done it all at mm-hmm. once or I mean, I've is done it, it in, something that people can kind of? Yeah. Like, so I've done two one, chunks. Two. I did
1: like, yeah, I did one and two and then I did uh, three and four. Yeah. And it was each, each one was I think six or seven days. I mean, it's, it's,
2: I, I think I kind of know the areas you're talking yeah. about. We've been back there a lot on like mm-hmm. Rebell
1: rally and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's, it's remote and it's,
2: yeah. It's yeah.
1: And there's storm, there's four mailboxes. So you want to sign in for each segment. We're also working on a passport program where you can stamp your passport and then be a part of a, a special club for people who have done all of the MDHCA trails, so Mojave Road, as well as EMHT. And a lot of people don't realize that Goffs, Goffs, California, which is just north of the 40, uh, west of uh, Needles, people don't realize that there's a fifth mailbox there. Uh, I guess it would be a sixth mailbox. And so you can check in there and it's like the mystery box. People are like, oh, I got all five of them. You're like, well, oh, there's still one more. They're like, what? And there's one at Goffs. So it's, <laughs> it's pretty cool that... And Goffs is a cool place if you ever want to check that out. It is just, cool. Yeah. Yeah, that whole area is just amazing. Yeah. We have a uh, one of the only working stamp mills, uh, 10 stamp mills in North America. But when that sucker's going, man, it is, it's so awesome. It's yeah. So I remember
0: awesome. the first time I did Mojave road had to have been like 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. And, and I drove for hours without seeing any tire tracks. Yeah. Now there, and it was a well-established yeah. trail, but there was no tracks. And now yeah. it's so busy now. It's so busy yeah, that I don't go back.
1: Everybody with the RAV4 adventure with like a puck lift and like 28 yeah. inch tires is like, Oh, I can totally do it. Yeah. And or you can, Subaru. and you, you can, can. Yeah. and you can, there's a, you know, but the problem is those, a lot of those people who are out there aren't equipped. Yeah. If it goes sideways, but like your the vehicle can do it, but you don't have a strap and you don't have enough yeah. water and you don't have a blanket and all that kind of but stuff. But let's talk about that. I
2: mean, I think that something that the media could do a better job in on this space is To stop fixating on just a couple of trails. And it's so cool to be able to highlight this new project.
1: It's, it's, yeah. I mean, there's so many places to go. There's, there's a third trail that Dennis mapped out. That's been closed for a long time. Hoping uh, Billy gets around to getting it reopened. We're working with the BLM. Uh, We have an MOU with the Needles Field Office. We're working an MOU with the National Park Service for the Mojave National Preserve which the majority of the Mojave road goes through to be the stewards of all that. So yeah. So much
0: tourist dollars that come in from that. Yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, people that are, if you go out for a day trip or for a couple hours, you spend X amount of money. But if you go travel like you did for seven days or 10 days, I mean, that's, that's a lot of money for the local economy. Yeah. Couple of gas stops,
1: gas stops, grocery Food, stores. Yep. Yeah, yeah exactly. well, and, and
2: I think with what you're saying initially is, that, is it takes that strain off of just one particular
1: place. well, that's the problem with land closure. Closing, in my opinion, land closure is, is not helping the land because you're starting to squeeze people into smaller and smaller areas. And so you're actually being, it's a detriment to those areas. Now, they, Now, because of that, they want to close those areas down and you squeeze people more, and it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Whereas if you can teach responsible recreation, stay on the trails and be able to, I was a big proponent of cherry stem roads and and existing trails remaining open. You can't create new ones. You can't go over there unless you walk. I'm fine with all well, that. In a lot there. of places, there's no need to create new trails. Absolutely. I mean, in Arizona, there's yeah, so, so many,
2: trails, yeah. so many. Yeah, open up and, Onyx and, 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 and you can
1: see just, you know, there's trails that you probably have been on or, or came across. Or where's that one go? And like to have, a you know, some sort of a yeah, Arizona, map software that Onyx shows that. The map
2: is just like a, a large chunk of fluorescent green. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It looks like a yarn ball or something <laughs> yeah.
0: like that. That's and it's um, confusing.
1: That my cat's been playing with. Well,
0: something. and then once they close the trails then people still go out there and recreate. They just do it illegally. And because they're pissed off that
1: it's closed, Mm -hmm. then
0: they knock over the signs and you see them driving all over the place.
1: Yeah. That's why we can't have nice things, right? It's a, it's a small group of people, but on our podcast, we've, we've done the whole, like try to do the education part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want to go out and explore in your truck, like that's great, but it's not excessive to have a week's supply of water or extra clothes or blankets or food or, people joke with, you know, overlanders that were overloaders, but there's a reason for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, honestly, you is, if you're going for more than a couple of days, like, you know, you have a pretty good amount of gear. I think, you know, somebody was asking me what I thought the next uh, big thing in overlanding was, and I think it's lightweighting. I yeah. think people got to a point where they realized how heavy they got and how poor the suspension 5,000%. performance. Yeah. And now people are figuring out what do I take that I've never used? or what can I take, or what materials yeah. can I use for my boxes or my drawers or whatever that are gonna be lighter than what I did before so I can get some of that claw back, some of that payload and yeah. ground clearance.
0: Well, and, and just take some pressure off of these lightweight vehicles. Yeah. I mean, a Tacoma is a lightweight vehicle. And I mean, what
1: is it? 900, you know, a 50 pounds, pounds, something like that, yes, you yes. know, of payload. And so you put two people in it, two good sized dudes that are yep. 200 pounds and- yep. my, least-
2: my wagon has more payload than that. Station yeah, it's wagon. crazy. On that, you know, the, the lightweight stuff, Does it almost seem to you guys that like these trucks that are like overbuilt, they just kind of look a little tacky, like Mm -hmm. trying too hard now? Like I'm not trying to be like a fashionista of overlanding, but.
1: I think that's what it is though. It's fashion. It is fashion. I mean, that's that's otherwise you wouldn't have, you know, not everything needs to be mil-spec anodized. Yeah. But yeah. now get your anodized in all sorts of colors and things like that. Cool adds a pop of color. Yeah. Some stuff does need to be mil spec because you're relying on it. And you don't want to corrode on your vehicle, but the vast majority of people are just doing it for the, you know, for the vanity of it or, yeah. or for, for the look. I mean, they don't have to think of how many people their soft cover for the rooftop tent got UV roached before their tent got their first use, right? Yeah. Just from driving around and I had a, uh, you know, 20 JL with my GoFast on it, which I absolutely loved. And I tried not to hang anything off the back other than that. And then now I've got a 392 and I got, I'm getting away oh, from you to talk top. about the three ninety two. 392 is well. awesome. I've seen the uh, video, Giggles. the, the uh, photo of me in the blue one on two wheels. Oh, was that that was like when they first came yeah. out when you had like the pre-production one? Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're insane. Yeah, it's just it's yeah, it's uh, it's a stupid amount of fun. Yeah, and, yeah. Pa- and they sound and the, good. And,
2: and the three ninety two is the perfect transition from what we're you know we're talking about. You know, you had like the the two thousand twenty JL, mm-hmm. and I know that you did a supercharger mm-hmm. on yours. I did a supercharger mm-hmm. on mine. I don't think either of us were happy. Mm-hmm. Like I know, I mean, I I ended up taking mine off because yeah. like the Magnuson one was. I just... So I, bad. I, I thought the quality... It cost of, me more to take it off than it did to yeah, put it back the, the on. The quality of the kit I had was good. Yeah. but you have the Edelbrock kit. Yeah. They know what they're doing. I'm not but, saying Magnuson
1: doesn't. But I had the California compliant version, which I think really kind of neutered it. Yeah. And so I was I down had a horsepower. Manual, And I had a manual, was, which was the big deal. Which I loved having a manual. In fact, it pained me. When I got the 392, to, to oh, I was, it's the first I, new I vehicle I've ever bought that was automatic. Interesting. Well, That's going to be
0: hard to do going
2: forward. Yeah, when I, you said I Sean know. was coming in, I'm like, oh yes. Well, he won't be here to visit center Force anymore.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't have a manual. <laughs> oh, he's <fine>. yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, if you think about it, like, why does everybody love the GX platform? Yeah. It's cause it's a forerunner with the V8. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of the same thing with the jail, the 392 is is something that only AEV did well, in the aftermarket like before the or Burnsville or America's most wanted or whatever, but yeah. full warranty, 470 horsepower, 470 pound feet of torque, all wheel drive transfer case. Isn't I mean, it zero to sixty in 4.5 seconds. Four and a half seconds. That's insane. Yeah. The, the quarter mile is like, I want to say it's uh 12 five at like 102 or something like mean, just some, <laughs> and it's, it's funny. Cause it's got the, uh, the exhaust button. I love it. that though. So you pull up it. and you know, you'll see like some douchey kid. In like his stanced import. And he's like bleh, 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 and you're like he starts looking around. And he's like, what's making that noise? Right. And and uh yeah. and then you just you it's all wheel drive. So then you just leap on the dude. <laughs> yeah. And uh, like one kid tried to catch up with me and he looked and I'm lifted. I've got an AV JL 370, so I'm up fairly tall, and I'm looking at the passenger seat or through the passenger seat or the passenger window, and I'm looking at him. And I could just see this much of his head. And he's looking up like, what happened to you me? Know, like Although I will say there was a a, a totally done up, super stealthy, clean uh, Volkswagen Golf. And he ran he ran me. And at the next light, I just nodded. I'm like, yeah, all right. I'm, I'm done picking on little cars. He just yeah. smiled. <laughs> all right, I got it. But yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible. And then people don't know this, but there's a de facto sport mode on the 392, which makes it even more rowdy. So... The Off-Road Plus button, if you hit Off-Road Plus, it changes the shift points, it changes the timing, it makes the exhaust crackle and pop on D-Cell, and it tightens up the shifts. It automatically turns off traction control, which <laughs> you want to turn back on on the street, <laughs> yeah. because it's just it's, it's just and stupid. And you can run that in two wheel, well, they're all wheel drive. Yeah, but I have yeah. a Taser, so I can run in two wheel drive if I want to, uh, okay. but which is kind of <laughs> nice. It's just a stupid amount of power, they just, it sounds great. And you know the fuel economy, is actually on the highway's okay. Like I'm on 37s with uh you know the factory 456s cuz when I started out as an XR, I get about 16 on the highway. I get It's not that bad. 10 11 around town, that sucks, <laughs> but yeah. But on the highway, I mean that, you know, from a 20-gallon tank, that's good. My it's better than what my supercharger got. So the supercharged Jeep was about a mile per gallon better in the city and about 2 miles uh, per gallon worse on the highway. So for going to Utah and all the trips, like I can go 300 miles on a tank, which I was around 250, 240 with the supercharger, which just yeah. kills everything. Like, yeah. like not being able to go 280, 300 becomes a problem, especially out in the West where you're trying to make time and get places. Yeah, because then it kind of times with like,
0: I gotta go to the bathroom, I yeah. gotta get some food, gotta get you know whatever. Yeah, can <clears>
2: we just <throat> take a moment to reflect on the fact that this vehicle exists and I how know. awesome? Thank that you, is?
1: thank you, Jeep. So thank the you, Jeep. the reason it exists in that and not the Gladiator, I'm sure, because everybody's like, when's it coming to the Gladiator? Oh, yeah, you were I'm like, it's oh, not. This is a good story, uh, Tim Kaniskus. Who ran Dodge, who was Hellcat Everything Guy, as a pet project, came to Jeep. He was only at Jeep for about a year, and the code name was J9. And so they they put the Hemi and they went, Well, why not why just do the regular Hemi? Let's put an SRT Hemi in there. And so that's how it became the deal. Well, when he went back to Dodge and Jim Morrison, who was originally at Jeep uh in marketing and all that, went to Ram, was running Ram, and then came back to Jeep to run Jeep and replace Caniscus. That's when the Stellantis stuff kinda happened and and the focus on EVs and four by E became more than 392. So it was never ported over to the Gladiator. And so um sorry, Gladiator guys. And I also think as much as I love I love the Gladiator, I just feel like the JL rear suspension is so much it just feels like a a next generation in terms of ride quality and everything. Where there's holes in the factory setup on the Gladiator, it just doesn't feel as refined. Or, yeah, or it's pretty together. busy,
0: actually. Yeah. More busy than the wheelbase should allow. Yeah, it to be. I, I think
2: the
1: Gladiator is <clears throat> a,
2: a fantastic
1: vehicle, but it's not a good Jeep and it's not a good truck.
2: That's yeah, <laughs> right. It, well, I mean, interesting. It, it does everything, but yeah. I, I I parked mine. This is before I went to my Prospector XL yeah. because I parked mine ne- at the dealer for service next to mm-hmm. a 2500, and I realized. It's maybe six inches shorter yeah, and it's just as wide.
1: So people wonder why they're so long and that's because on the Jeep, you have to have the front axle so far forward to clear the oil pan. So you can get that articulation so because you're locked into that front bumper to a pillar length anyway because of where it is where if you look at a ranger or Tacoma mm-hmm. that front axle is closer to the firewall yeah the and engines so, like sitting underneath yeah. your dash so the so the jeep is already at a disadvantage because of the architecture of the front and then they still wanted to have a five foot bed in it and so it, you kind of it is the size that it is which is why it's almost the same size yeah. as uh, AV brute because they same same issue right it's yep. they're really close and in size. people
2: criticize the gladiator for that but I think the way you said it is if you had anything less than a five foot you, bed, you you wouldn't be why? happy. You you have a yeah. Subaru Baja at that
1: point? Yeah. No, it's, it's it, the Gladiator is a great vehicle, especially after mm. you take it to the aftermarket. Like I know the Aev kit does wonders for the rear suspension, but stock they're like you said they're busy, especially on a non Rubicon. Yeah. Like it's yeah. I know it uses a lot of Ram DS parts or D, uh, DT parts on the back, which is good and bad. You know, it's good because it's familiar parts bin stuff, but it's bad because it's not its own suspension. Right. So there's yeah. some compromise in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the
2: rear suspension. I had never necessarily thought of it as a fault, but that is where I struggled with mine, putting the
1: camper on mm. it.
2: I had unfortunately sold mine before AV did the high capacity yeah. springs, which
1: I think it would have made really, all the difference on yours. Really
2: would have made a mm. lot of difference, but I don't know. Really, really cool car though. Glad yeah. it again, glad yeah. it exists. Cool, cool that you can have a pickup truck that you can take the doors off. And yeah. Yada, yada.
1: I'm just happy I can park uh, my, my 392 in the garage and not leave it in the driveway. <laughs> well, that's the thing that I think is so cool about the 392
2: JL is, I mean, you live in a pretty urban area or suburban or whatever. The Wrangler is a great city car. Oh yeah. So maneuverable. Anywhere. And if there's a curb there, who cares? Yeah. Like you're up high, but. Yeah.
1: Good visibility. And you don't ever feel guilty about driving it. Like I remember back in, you know, four-wheeler of the year, you know, back in 05. And I remember there's one year we had a Hummer H3 and we had a, I don't know, whatever the rest of the SUVs were, I guess it doesn't really matter for storytelling purposes. But when you get in the H three, you just didn't care about it. Just you weren't worried about it. You just drove it, and the the Jeep's the same way. Like you can get in and just drive it. You take it off road. I'm not worried about scratching the paint or the bumper and the you know yeah, the. It's made for it. Yeah, you're using it as intended. And if you hit a curb or you mess up on a line and drop into a hole, it's it's rugged enough. It just shakes it off. It doesn't care. I think that that ruggedness and durability that's inherent to that platform you know, yeah, it's, it's not as nice on the highway to drive to say a new Bronco or something like that, which, you know, I would consult. It's funny, like my, my career in, in journalism for all these years, I can point to you things on like all you jail guys who have a, you know, garage door opener on your visor. That was me (laughs) Um, on my JK. I bought a one off a black expedition interior and wired it to my cigarette lighter and put it in my a pillar. One of the executives rode in my Jeep and was like, what's that? He said, my garage door opener. Well, aren't you worried about somebody opening your garage? If the, if the top and doors are off, I'm like, no, it's tied to the ignition. Like, I don't know why you guys don't do it. Well, JL has it. <laughs> also, if you talk to Tony Carvalho, who, uh, yeah. recently just joined steer smarts was at best top, but he was, uh, at Jeep for a long time, you know, off plus was mine too. So like that was, that was a whole thing. So I can claim parts of that. So if you love those parts of your Jeep, I'm going to go ahead <laughs> and claim those things, but Well, you've Um,
0: had so much influence on the industry, Sean. I mean, when you when you just left Motor Trend Group and Four Wheeler, I mean, you were running the entire truck group.
1: Yeah. So I had all the content for the truck and off-road side. So all, you know, at one point I had uh, diesel power and work truck and truck trend and truck in, mini trucking. I had four wheeler, Peterson Four Wheel and Off Road, JP you know, we were touching every part of the industry through all those different brands. And as it consolidated, it it, it narrowed, and we weren't as able to, you know, to do as much fun stuff as we used to because we were only working with, you know, a few primary brands. But yeah, I've I've had the opportunity to work with General Motors, uh, Nissan, Ford. I did a bunch of stuff with Bronco. But yeah, I think that brings back to the Bronco comment was, you know, Jeep is, it's a Jeep. And people go, well, that's just an excuse. And you're like, yeah, but if somebody today came to you and ask Ford about this because they had a lot of teething problems. Somebody came to you and said, Scott, I want to make a uh, a new car. And you're like, okay. And they're like, it's got to be four-wheel drive. Yeah, no problem. It's got to go down the freeway 80 miles an hour. Yeah, okay. It also has to go off-road. Okay, it has to have low range. Yeah, yeah, whatever. The doors need to come off. It needs to be a convertible. <laughs> yeah. It would sound like a Homer car. And you're like, nobody would ever build that today, right? Yeah. And so it's a Jeep. It's a Bronco. It's but that's the flexibility of, of being able to do all those things. The Jeep is special, you know. to it's have That's
0: why a, they sell so many of them. They're so hundred eighty thousand a year. Or something They're so like that. good.
1: They're uh, so. You drive uh, around Prescott. Like you, yeah. you can't go three Jeep feet. City You cannot go three I have feet. The,
2: Everybody I, moves here, trades
1: in their Mercedes and sedan. get and gets <laughs> a, G. Buys a Jeep. Well, it's like I've, I've got a mid size solid axled V8 vehicle. Yeah. I think of the last time you could get a midsize solid axled V8 vehicle from the factory anywhere. Oh, it's uh, amazing. The eighties with twin
2: turbos, maybe the G wagon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and totally, and, but they even, they went. Uh, independent, independent. Oh yeah. They yeah on the new ones. Ones. And it's better for it, but yeah. that chassis for, went back to 1979. Yeah. For, for that, for that platform and for that buyer, it's, it's fun. It makes sense.
0: No, you're absolutely right. I mean, until like the Grenadier now, yeah. I mean, it, which is still isn't a V8, but but just the fact that Jeeps exist, I think is so cool.
1: And I actually think it's good that, you know, when Humber went away, I was actually worried for Jeep because I always think that when you exist in a vacuum, the scrutiny only goes with that one company. Yeah. So I think that Ford came back with Bronco was actually good for Jeep, because I know for a fact that there's some stuff Jeep engineers have wanted to do but because it was such a successful program, there's no competition. This company's like, "Eh, we don't really need to, we're not gonna spend the money on that. Well, now they have to because they've got competition in the space. I think it's good for Florida. It seems like
2: a lot of people at Stellanus have had the the handcuffs literally and figuratively Mm -hmm. taken off. Like I cannot wait for you know JL two it's coming up soon, right? I mean, it has mm-hmm. to be. They're they're on like clockwork, ten year product cycle with a five year refresh.
1: Well, and until they realize that we're still selling above our business plan, so we can kick that back a few years. But yeah, yeah. there yeah. the mid cycle refresh is coming, and I'll leave it at that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and these are important updates, you know. And we're going to see more electrification, which yeah. some people it's going to work great for.
1: Well, I think I, the four of e you know, is cool. Uh, so. You know, here's a perfect example of my driveway. My wife has a brand new Grand Cherokee four by E and I've got the 392. Mm, and the four by E is great. And the use case is perfect. My wife, her commute's about 10 miles. She gets 25 miles of electric range. We plug it in at night. She went from filling up every week to filling up every three weeks and she's, we plug it in and she goes, and then by maybe the end of the day, she might have five or 10 miles of, of gas, or, you know, if she has yeah. a long day. Now she can plug in while she's somewhere EV only, right? She yeah, can plug in and she's in. It's a beautiful car. It has the same torque as my 392. It's a second faster than the Grand Cherokee uh, two-row V8. And actually just dropped the V8 and now they have V6 and 4 by e in the two-row. Gorgeous car, Grew together. The interior's amazing on it. We've got a summit. So good. So different than my 392, yet well, we're okay having that. So yeah. um, I had a 4xe Wrangler for a few months. It was act- I, I actually pre-ran Overland Adventure, which was a four-wheeler event that we put on this uh, past year, entirely in the 4xe. And it was kind of cool because what I didn't realize is the gas tank's smaller. Because of the batteries. And so it's only 18 gallons to 21 and a half, which I wasn't planning on because I drive a Wrangler every day. So I was <laughs> expecting my my range to be a certain amount. <laughs> and I'm heading out to Goffs and about 10 miles short, I ran I run out of gas. <laughs> well, I this is one thing that Jeep does that, to my knowledge, nobody else does, which makes the electrification brilliant for the enthusiast. They have three modes. One is hybrid, where it decides whatever the most efficient mode of transportation is. It has battery only, where it'll pri- you know, prioritize battery, and it has E-save, which charges the battery while you're driving and doesn't use it unless you're you know wide open throttle passing or whatever, and you override that. But in normal driving, won't we'll use it. I typically would drive around in E-save mode because it would be nice to cruise in the, the the neighborhood at night silently or on the trail. There's places where electrification is a lot of fun. That's my favorite. So is I see being quiet. It's, on it's the trail. Just like you know running out of gas. I'm like I'm ten miles short of the gas station. I just went over. I hit the uh, the battery mode and was on electric the rest of the way in. And it's like, whoo! So it's like having an auxiliary tank if you use it right, which is kind of cool. Right. And then off road again, it's the, the, the torque of it. And it's from my experience in the Ford lightning, the Hummer, the Rivian and the four by E in electric mode, you see so much more wildlife and animals when you're on the trail. And it's, it's weird. It's almost as if the tires on the ground or remind them, or they think it's hoof of an animal Cause we've had antelope and stuff and they look and they don't care. They shrug you off. You come in in a, An internal combustion engine and they they all scatter so we've come in the middle of like this wildlife in those things you know coyotes walking alongside you in silent mode just looking like oh look at that big ugly coyote right there or (laughs) something right that's been our
2: experience yeah (laughs) it's it's so
1: good there's a place for it and it's not for everybody
2: everybody everybody just loves to hate on evs i mean yeah well
1: i think it's because they're being forced on people right and and i think if we were honest about evs and it wasn't zero emissions And it was, you know, here's the things where it's better, here's the things where it's worse, here's your use case. There's a consumer choice. Consumer choice. Exactly. It's a tapestry of technologies that'll take us in the future. They shouldn't be mandating one winner consumers should choose the winner. And I think yeah. that's the heartburn that a lot of people have with...
0: with and it's understandable. We, we do know that EVs are not emissions-free Right, it takes an enormous amount We're of We're offshoring
1: them emissions. to right. feel better about ourselves, right? And offshoring the waste. And, and most of, especially in the Southwest, most of our plants are natural gas anyway. And going back to the stove, it's like, hey, you can have all electricity, but you can't have natural gas. But the electricity comes from natural gas with just don't look. Door number Yo, two doesn't exist like over five here. Five years right? ago, natural gas was the clean energy. It's still I the think clean it energy.
2: Is natural gas the clean energy? Like
1: I'm. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have. We're the Saudi Arabia of natural gas. If we changed our entire infrastructure from petroleum to natural gas, we could be almost completely independent. I mean, yeah. it's amazing how much reserves and. Natural gas in North America is incredibly clean, incredibly clean burning. And, and we don't leverage that. Could you imagine if all of a sudden, like the politics of needing, you know, the, the Middle East, it didn't exist anymore. You're like, no, we're on, we got our own stuff. Yeah. And then the the, the world would stop and go, well, wait a minute. What does this mean? Right. (laughs) We can't fight wars with each other for, you know, oil anymore. So you've had all these great vehicles. Which one was your favorite? oh i mean that's a loaded question i've got a 1942 gpw that That was was perfect the the very first four by four i ever drove on my uncle's ranch oh yeah and he yeah yeah, he called me a couple years ago and he's like hey thinking about getting rid of that old flat fender and my kids aren't interested in it and i want to see you go to somebody And i know you have some sentimental value so it's up at the ranch come get it <laughs> all right see you next week <laughs> yeah um and so i've got that it's in various states of uh of being so good, fixed man. right That's now awesome so that thing's cool and then uh, f- for n- for newer vehicles obviously the 392 i had a trx for a year which was phenomenal i drove that thing all over the desert didn't have any issues with it i mean you're going over stupid size stuff at 60 miles an hour airing it out and hucking it over landing sideways. And it just feels like a marshmallow. Like it's just so much power. And it was funny how at the beginning of that loan, I'm like, Oh my God, 702 horsepower. And at the end of the loan, I'm like, come on, give me more. Yeah. Cause you just, (laughs) you, you just calibrate to it. And even the, you know, the, the 470 and the 392, it's, it's, the TRX chassis can handle the Jeep is like at the bitter limit. So, all you're like, I don't think I'm thinking of a supercharger, I'm like, what's wrong with you, you maniac? Right. Um, I haven't spent as much time. Could you imagine the torque? Oh, the tor- oh, when I see torque. So, when I well, this is a party trick, I've had my friends, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, remote start, and we all stand out. And when it fires up, it, the whole body moves, just like an old muscle car. And so all the old guys are like, Oh, it sounds great. Did you see that? The whole car moved and it started up it reminds me of my Chevelle or, yeah, I mean, it's stupid. That, that thing is, is, is phenomenal. But I also love my 20, uh, even with the blower on it, I had 101 to one crawl ratio with it. It was all everything AEV. Um, that thing took me, you know, I think when I sold it, it had 35,000 miles on it or something. And I guarantee you probably 15 000 to 20,000 miles were off-road because every, because I always had another car. So every trip was driving somewhere and then wheeling it off-road for a week and then driving it home.
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: And it was, I never had an issue with it. It's just so capable and I'm hoping for the same experience with the 392. And one of the good things about 392 is all the Jeeps have that stupid auxiliary battery. The little one that goes bad. Yeah. It just leaves you stranded when you least expect it. No electronic start stop in a 392, one battery. Cool. So you don't have to worry about your little battery, you know, hosing you. Plus the gross vehicle weight rating on a 392XR is like 6250. So from a tax write-off standpoint, yeah,
2: it's, only, you 80%, write it off. it's yeah. only 80% for the 2023 financial <laughs> year. Not that I know anything hey, about writing cars off. I'll
1: take that 80% because uh, <laughs> I've got two businesses that just got fired up and I'll use every
2: bit of it. So. Yeah, that's right. I, I just think the 392 is going to be an end of era car. And yeah, it's, it's, it's peak Jeep. Yeah, I, I don't know if it will from an enthusiast perspective, I don't know if it will get any more emotional. Yeah. Cars will always and always get better. I mean, yeah. we'll, in five years we'll be sitting here and there'll be some crazy electric.
1: Yeah. You know, but I e- don't want a, I don't want a steering wheel, this pod to to pull up outside and take me to my hotel. Or no, What I'm you saying know? is that there'll be a, there'll be another crazy fast Jeep, but this will yeah. be, this is a once. Well, EV allows time. that, right? EV allows yeah, that, yeah. but is it going to be solid axles and super capable and, it's just it's a special it's a moment in time whether exactly. it's a raptor r whether it's a 392 TRX, whether it's a trx yeah. it's the end of an era if it now's the t- chance if you've ever been on the fence about purchasing a V8 enthusiast vehicle, car or truck, or have, it's going to stop soon. This is it. I mean, you're in your last couple of years of being able to do that as electrification comes in. And to your point, there will be things that match the performance. Yeah. But I was with uh, my friend, Gail Banks, who owns Banks Power. I saw Power. that. I saw that. And yeah. so I gave him a ride in it and we were just giggling the whole time. And he drives a black wing Cadillac CT uh, 6V. And, it was, you know, we were just talking about the old hot rodders. Like there's nothing that's like a, a, a V8 at yeah. full tilt. There's yeah. just nothing out there. And, and that emotion, that visceral feel where it's not just sound, but you can feel it you in your You can die bones. at any second. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's you just, you're like, <laughs> whoa, it's amazing. Right? You know, having the world stretch out in front of you, but <laughs> yeah. also having the soundtrack to go with it. And, you know, you know we just, uh, on our, on the Truck Show podcast, we just had episode three with Gail on it. And there's one quote that he says, he goes, he's talking about V8s and he goes, there's just nothing, I, I can't remember what his term was, if it was exciting or, or emotional, because there's nothing emotional about, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, but, but he's right, you know, it's, it's, I've driven a lot of fast electric vehicles and they're cool. And there's a place for them, mm-hmm. but they're not emotional. It's a, it's, it's, it's a great, different emotion. It's a great yeah. toaster, right? Like it'll <laughs> go fast
2: and it will do whatever But a you lot want. of modern cars are still, yeah. they're just internal combustion toasters these yeah, days, yeah. right? Like. I'm not talking about the 392, yeah. but there's nothing special about a Pentastar V6. No. I mean, yeah, it's fine. It's there. It works. It's reliable. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And and then you get into, you know, commuter cars. Mm-hmm. Like I always say in LA, most people in LA should be driving an electric car. They're sitting in traffic half the time. Yeah,
1: no, it's, it's the perfect like, use case for that sort of yeah, thing.
2: I think where the argument with electric cars is steered wrong with the enthusiasts is that Nobody's saying that you can't have a cool old car. Nobody's saying that you can't have a
1: 392 yet. (laughs) <laughs> <Do> slippery we- <laughs> slope my friend once they take your oven and your stove they're taking anything <laughs> yeah
2: yeah uh,
0: it's certainly possible i mean it, although i mean
2: you know even- arizona exists there's actually a lot of prominent car collectors that are mm-hmm. moving to arizona for that reason mm-hmm. not well you guys have the awesome historical plates here yeah i mean i don't think in arizona people will ever try and take it away
1: um uh, simons uh who worked with us a four-wheeler has a Let's just say it's a Frankenstein Jeep that has a uh, flat fender uh, grill on it. Oh, and, yeah, I've seen
2: the tan one. And it has
1: a copper plate on it. And we are at a show one we uh, sometime, I think, and you told me a story. Somebody walked up and said... That's not a Willy's. How'd you get that plate? And Vern's response was, what are you, cop? <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, uh, awesome. Yeah, you can no, put a license plate on anything in this state. Pretty much. Yeah, you got to love Arizona. Yeah. My trials bike doesn't have a headlight or a seat, and it has a <laughs> license plate.
1: <laughs> license plate everything. <laughs>
0: yeah. uh, no, it's been so cool to see all the projects that you've built through the years. And a lot of the reason why even Overland Journal exists is because of Four Wheeler. I mean, I remember, I mean, I've told this story before, but I, the first magazine I ever picked up was it was a camel trophy on mm-hmm. the cover and and I think it was either off-road or or a four-wheeler it was mm-hmm. one of them mm-hmm. and I just you know I was a 19-year-old kid just completely yeah. wonderstruck by this by this publication and, and then
1: yeah. I a, a, a Land Rover Defender on logs crossing a, <laughs> yeah, like, V-notch waterfall know. canyon I, so good. with some dude smoking a camel, you know, <laughs> and you're like, not only really does that look awesome, but that dude looks cool. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. You know, and, and I grew up in Southern California, yeah. too, but I remember the feeling when I f- that all came full circle and I got a hold of Phil Howell. Mm-hmm. And the guy actually replied to my email. And, and I think the reason why he replied to my email, I sent him a complete package. I sent him the story, mm-hmm. copy edited, mm-hmm. all of the images with Us an image editors key. editors love that with stuff. An clean. Image key. Yep. It was ready to go. Yep. And he responded and he yep. said, You know, this is the first time. I've ever got-. <laughs> the only thing he told me, he says, Some of the words, too many syllables, knock that back a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but other than that, it was my chance to actually be in four wheeler and, yeah. and off road in those magazines. With the announcement of uh, four-wheeler closing, I think that it, it's a loss for the
1: Six, industry. 60 years. I mean, you think about, you know, we were really the original Overlanding magazine. Yeah, sure. Literally the very first issue, I think the tagline was the magazine for Backcountry Adventure or something like that. Perfect. And, and that was in February of uh, 1962. And we were showing people camping out of their Jeeps and their Toyota Land Cruisers and things like that. And you flash forward to the 80s and you've got Turtle Expedition with Gary and Monica. Yeah. And I mean, that Turtle Expedition one through five, six, whatever it ended up being was prolific for a lot of people and recognizing that you could have this lifestyle of living out of this vehicle and and traveling the world and meeting people in a way that you only thought a cruise ship or an airplane could take you to, and now yeah. you're going to places that most people would never see through, through their eyes. And then on to the original, or the, I'm sorry, the current, you know, overland movement, which I would say probably started in about 2007, 2008, earnestly in the U.S. ARB bringing over the Simpson rooftop tent was kind of one of the things that launched that bull bars. Oh, I have something Australians have, right? And I remember we built uh, for SEMA, 2010 Forerunner, uh, the new body style. At four wheeler wrapped with four wheeler for Seaman in 2010 in the Toyota booth yeah. with full ARB everything on it, and at that point, nobody. Had, so all these people who think they're doing new things with four runners, I'm like, I'm sorry <laughs> to tell you. 2009 2010 i was already on that boat yeah, so yeah sure. and it was still the same car and, and it's the still the same vehicle <laughs> it is still the same. now you guys are using more gold on your wheels now than you did back then and extra ladders and lights but <laughs> yeah think about yeah. it same same drive train same drive train. transmission uh, i think the transmission is did it go from is it five speed it's or still six, a five, still five, five speed. Speed? it's still a five speed <laughs> It's
0: unbelievable. Oh, and they're man. still worth so much money. It's oh, I know. Un,
1: it's just unreal. You know what's funny is I have a, <clears throat> oh, they work. a buddy of mine who they has do, they do work. a, uh, uh, his son turned 16 and he's like, hey, I'm looking for a Tacoma and the pricing is, is insane. And I'm like, don't get a Tacoma because you're going to overpay. Go look for Frontier Pro 4X. Yeah, totally. Super sure. underrated, fully boxed frame rear disc brakes, four liter V6 with more torque on it, super reliable, super simple vehicle. They're awesome. Rear locker on a Pro 4X, 32 inch tires, Dana, you know, 44 rear axle. So he starts looking at those, he goes, these are almost as expensive as Tacoma's. They go, really? Because what happened was they didn't build as many of them and everybody's figuring out in the secondary market, oh my God, that was a great truck mm-hmm. that I never even paid attention to, but it's perfect to get into this for, for my kid or, or whatever. So we found one and, and he's been wheeling the snot out of it. And It's funny. um, I was on, there's a uh, Facebook group about wheeling the San Juans and somebody said, Hey, I just got this frontier. I don't really know about enough about it. Could I do all the trails? And I'm thinking, Oh, here's going to be the bash fest. It was amazing. Everybody's like, that was my first truck. Put a set of rock rails on it. Don't do anything else. Have fun. You can do all anything out here. And that, and it was awesome to see this community that kind of got their start or guys showing off their frontiers. And, it's a shame that platform is is has so much going for it. And the aftermarket has largely ignored, ignored
0: it. And that's really the only thing that's hurting it, yeah. I think.
1: Because from a capability <laughs> standpoint, I mean, you look, at the F-Alpha architecture. And it has a deep-drawn frame rail, which it shares with the, the Titan half And if you look at a Toyota, one of the things that always bugged me about the Toyotas was the frame rails aren't very tall. And so the transfer case hangs low and has that skid plate that hangs down. Yeah. Look at a Frontier. It's almost totally flat. Nothing hangs below the bottom of the frame rail because they have these really deep-drawn frame rails. which also makes the truck really strong and rugged. And so I always tell people I'm like, Toyota is living off the reputation it's a great truck. Don't get me wrong; they've earned it, but it's not always the best choice. At yeah. least go look at a Frontier. Go drive it. And, well, people, yeah.
2: people always say, "Oh, I wish they sold the Hilux here." Yeah. Well, Nissan sells their equivalent. Yeah. of it. It's called a Navara elsewhere. Yeah. I know there's yeah. a few little changes and sure. things like that, but it's it's here.
0: Yeah, I was just so surprised that they didn't bring the five-link from the
1: Navara. You and I were in Morocco yeah, yeah, yeah. driving <laughs> that eighteen thirty-two. So good. Was, oh, it's so it was good. So good. I'm looking at them and it's like, guys, like this, like, this, this is you would, it. and now you know Ranger Raptor is going to have it sounds like going to oh, have and the next the Tacoma will have five link yeah. and the, and the you, Tundra yeah. has five they, five they already Lincoln. have the geometry figured of out I'm like ah that is my beef with the
2: with the Frontier is that I drove the new Novara in 2013 when I was running yeah. a magazine in Australia yeah and it's a much better vehicle than the one that they're selling now
1: well, the yeah. one, the the one that just got redesigned, I think is they nailed it on the styling. Mm. Looks, it great. looks it great. Looks fantastic. The nice the thing is that looking the chassis is basically the same. All the hard points are the same. All that as the previous truck, which means that all the accessories, mm. like suspension and stuff, is a direct bolt on and you can still do the Titan swap where you do the Titan V8 and front end on the current truck just for anybody who wants to get a little wild out there, <laughs> but um, all that's available like that stuff all still works. So but the truck is, is it's a great truck. It's completely underrated. I happen to like them a lot. So my advice for somebody looking for something midsize, at least go drive one and, and you might be surprised. You might find out like, oh, this is this. I, I is thought the good.
0: ride quality was great. Yeah. The first gear is better. Yep, It's got a couple other co- extra. A little colleagues. more payload. Yeah. No, it's pretty good. Speaking of the Morocco trip, you've done a bunch of international trips mm-hmm. in your time too. Were, were you on that infamous 2007 wrangler launch uh
1: yes the the one in uh, africa yeah. in uh don't they do it in vic falls or something Z- uh, zambia zambia yeah I,
0: I heard that was just that was one of the most challenging there was two media waves events. yeah
1: they actually uh I, I and when you said the infamous I thought are were gonna say the um the iceland trip where everybody <laughs> almost died that was john stewart got stuck on that one that was a a really bad a trip that went really sideways back in back in the day, but no the the J.K. Africa. You got to hear about that. <laughs> well, I I don't know all the stories, so I, <laughs> well, I'd probably be making John, stuff up. You got to get John, you on, you the, get John the on the horn, yeah. But yeah, so the Africa trip was amazing. They actually brought all those vehicles. My understanding was through South Africa and drove them up to Zambia. Yeah, they left them all there at the end of the media drive. Every vehicle they brought is still sitting in Africa. Then they just handed the keys to like a chief of a village and was like, here you go, you know. <laughs> have fun with um, that. It was it was one of the most magical, one of the most well run, one of the most special. I still have a picture on my wall of all of us landing at the dirt strip, um, Mafui, I think it was with a, a Zambian, you know, bill in it. It was, the, the whole trip was funny. There's two waves. I believe I was on wave two, but I, I can't really remember. The whole adventure of that trip started at LAX. We took United to uh, London and London to Nairobi. And we get on the plane and Rick Payway, I'm sure you probably had yeah. Rick on the show or- Not you? yet, okay. but we need to. You know, Rick he's down in Wickenburg. Now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you, can, you, you should get him on. He'll have way more stories. But he's standing there. And we're all in business class, right? Like, this is an international trip. The journalists are going to get taken care of. And like, yep, this is going to be great. And Rick gets his name called to the podium. And we're like, what's going on? What? Rick got his name called. What's going on over there? And Rick walks on the airplane. So finally, it comes time to board business class. Rick's in first class. And we're all in business. He's like smiling and stuff. They're holding the plane door and here comes the passenger that rick bumped back to business class it's paris hilton flying to london so she sat next to us which was super weird and i remember her reading us weekly with her girlfriend like like oh my god oh that's so hot like her tagline in person was well, that was weird like- as peak paris hilton. oh yeah it was peak yeah. paris hilton for sure and I remember like, she has really pretty skin and huge feet. Those are the two things I remember. And it was just, it was the funniest thing. So like, that's how that trip started. Um, and I remember in, in Nairobi, you get off the, the plane in Nairobi and there's no jet bridge. It's all stairs. And we we're on a triple seven, which is obviously a massive plane. And the ozone just hits you in the face and your eyes start watering and all the pollution. You're like, oh my God, where, yeah. am I, where, where have you taken me? And we were at this British hotel the first night, had this amazing food and everything. Uh, and The next day, we go back to the airport. We take a charter and uh, DC nine to a small airport. Went right by uh, Mount Kilimanjaro awesome. and landed. Switched planes to a Cessna caravan. Had to go to a dirt runway. They couldn't find the runway. We were circling <laughs> in the air, and I, I'll never forget. I was sitting in the very back row, and a caravan's like fourteen people. So That's a I'm, cool plane. They are cool planes. And they're super so rugged. <laughs> but I'm I'm thinking. Not only am I the last one to die, I get to watch everybody crush me as the <laughs> sucker goes down, right? I'm like, "Is I can't find the field. And you're going, well, don't run out of gas, please. <laughs> um, we land there and there's uh, all these Jeep executives and PR people and all the Jeeps are all lined up on the side of the runway. It was really special. And, and wasn't Duncan Barber, the guy who put it yeah, all together? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, Duncan, he talked about that. Yeah, on, that's yeah right Duncan podcast. was great. And then uh, Robin, um, who can't think of his last name, was a friend of Duncan. He just passed away I mean, not too many mm-hmm. years ago of cancer, I think, because I caught up with Duncan and I had asked uh, about, uh, I think it was Robin. And we went on all these great trails. You're talking about like elephant trails, not Jeep trails, elephant trails. I remember the elephant grass was so high on this hill and the the slope was so steep that the rear of the Jeep was sliding sideways as we were side-sloping this thing on the elephant grass. And everybody's jumping out and walking next to the Jeep with their hand kind of holding it. And you're looking downhill. And there's always like Africa will kill you 50 different ways. It will. Like the Titi the flies, like you hit them and they shake it off and they look at you and they bite you again. And there's lions. Every rock is super hard. Every tree is as hard as a rock. The baobab tree is going to drop like the fruit on your head, or there's going to be a giant, you know, African bee nest that's going to kill you. <laughs> um, the villagers that we saw, I brought my first digital camera because we had just swapped over to uh, Canon 10 And so I would take pictures of these kids and we brought them like pencils and Smarties candies and I would show them their picture and they just went wild. They'd never seen anything like that. We'd be driving through these villages and these trucks that were going into the city had a hundred people on them and they would put these boards on the side and and bang nails up so that people's feet couldn't go on the boards to hang off the truck. And they figured out a way to hang off of it anyway. And they're all topsy, you know, top heavy. And the whole, just, I will tell you, I never felt unsafe in Africa. It was, the people there are amazing. You couldn't find more animals than the San Diego wild animal park. I mean, there was, we had these, these huts that had like an open shower, with like a half wall. Monkeys would come down and grab your soap while you're taking a shower. <laughs> I had a, I had a hippopotamus hit my door trying to break in in the middle of the oh, night. That's, that's I'm like, terrifying. I don't want a hippo in here. You know, <laughs> I've got pictures of the, of I the think hippos kill more people. In yeah. Africa, oh, they right? do. Yeah, they flip boats. We had to go across this river and it could only hold, I think two Jeeps at a time. And there was this cable and these guys had, think of it as like a it's shaped like a guitar or a club but it was like a question mark it, you know and they would row the boat by dr- by clipping on this cable and pulling just two dudes and they're pulling a jeep across this river on this guide wire and so they're like oh this is going to take a lot of time do you want to go out in the uh, in the boat and get photos and it's a canoe <laughs> or a like a little metal canoe that has a motor on the back and they're like I'll get you close to the hippo so you can take photos because what they do is they'll knock the boat over and then attack you in the water and i'm like All right, is it safe? He goes, well, as soon as they go underwater, be ready because we have to move. So he gets me up to the hippos. I get these pictures and, you know, it looks like the jungle cruise, right? And all of a sudden they disappear. He's like, you're trying to not fall out of the back of the boat. There was, we had a camp, King Cobras are like slithering through camp. I remember Douglas McCullough, who's the editorial director for we there at the time stepped out of his tent in the middle of the night to take a leak and fell down a five-foot berm where there all the crocodiles had been earlier in the day. Oh, no. I mean, it's just, it was just, and we, there's a wildfire. We were driving through a wildfire <laughs> on our, on our trip. Um, one of the guys, Todd Goyer uh, from Jeep and Colin McBain were in a two-door Jeep and rolled it. And the airbags went off the inside impact. They were shaking up. Jeep was okay, but we the top was messed up and the windshield frame, so we drove it the rest of the week with no doors, no top, and the windshield folded Which down. Which is perfect. And you're just complete. You're you're <laughs> as dirty. As, I mean, it looks like you worked in a coal mine. And like me and Pei we were fighting over driving that thing because really? we're like, oh, screw the other ones. This is a two door and now open top Jeep with yeah. dents all over. It. This thing's awesome. <laughs> that, that trip, uh, I remember I started my watch when we when we left Zambia, and when I landed at LAX it was 36 hours later. Cause I was curious how long the total time to get home was. Yeah, sure. And when we were, went through customs in Nairobi, they asked me if my camera was real. And so I just took a picture to show them and I got swarmed by security. Cause you're not allowed to take pictures oh. of government officials. I'm like, no, I'm just showing you it works. And so that almost became a big thing. I mean, yeah. the whole, the whole trip, everything about it, but um, just the, the, f- the food, the people, the experience. Uh, I went to the New Zealand launch in 2019, no, 2017 yeah, That was jail. for jail. Yeah. yeah. And the guys who put that on a couple of them had been on the Africa trip. We're having dinner one night and they're like, tell us the truth. You're one of the only people here who has been on both. Which one's your favorite? And I'm like, Africa. And they're like, what? I'm like, it's New Zealand was incredible. It's top, top five of media trips of all time. Africa will probably, there was a moment in time where a company was willing to spend a million dollars to have 10 journalists fly across the country to have an experience in their new vehicle. They knew that JK had to be revolutionary. And they had to get everybody at every major publication there. The landscape of publications is different now. The people who are in the know or yeah. who are the trusted journalists are, are in different places now. I don't know that you'll ever quite have a trip like that. Well, it was that special. Defender,
0: Yeah, Defender in Namibia was pretty good.
2: Yeah, but
1: that's not on the
2: same level as, as that I trip. mean, we were doing...
0: I mean, we landed on a dirt run. We did all this. All I, the I, remember, I
2: remember having to... Of course, to, Duncan was to, there. To, <laughs> ...to fake yeah.
1: land once... To get the goats off of the runway? (laughs) Well, that happens. Yeah. Well, and I've got photos. There were some sketchy stuff that we did in the Jeep. I mean, obviously driving up wood, kind of like Camel Trophy, we had to drive over these wood bridges that were maybe 30 feet over a ravine that were laid out. And you only had inches on either side of the wheel. Your wheel placement had to be perfect. And we had to cross this really fast moving river and my rear end started washing away and I dropped off the the stone road that was underwater and had to like gun it with water going over the hood, just showing you like how high the water fording is on those. They're like, Oh, you're, you're going to get washed away. I mean, it, we did some serious stuff. There was one particular. That's what I
0: heard. It was just the most difficult.
1: Yeah. Th- there was nothing light that you would not take your average journalist and say, drive this. They yeah. would, they would fear for their lives. I mean, yeah. I mean that's not a exaggeration there was one place where we dropped into this unbelievable like granite river canyon and it was probably a 45 foot drop it was exactly the width of the jeep and as you know jk's were a lot wider than tj so Mm -hmm. we weren't used to the width at that point you were scrubbing your sidewalls and as you dropped on the front your rear lifted and there was a complete drop 40 feet to your right so if you would have stabbed the brakes and did a momentum shift you would have rolled and crushed yourself in this granite. i mean it was it, it, this was one of the things where you go, these guys are the real deal. There's a lot of manufacturers who you watch their commercials and as the Jeep executives will say now, they're trying to be Jeep, right? You have Kia's on, you know, going up Hell's Revenge. By the way, sway bar was disconnected, different tires, there wasn't stock, right? But RAV4s are out there, Subaru Wilderness, and they're, they're good vehicles in their own right, but they're not this. And yeah, it just showed that, that yeah. these engineers and this vehicle was the real deal. And it was special, man. It was special. Yeah, it was for special. sure.
0: Well, Sean, if someone's getting new into overlanding and they like to do more challenging terrain, Mm -hmm. what would be a couple pieces of advice that you would give them for driving off-road? What would be your top, your first five things that you would tell somebody to pay attention to when they want to do a a better job or protect their vehicle in technical Mm -hmm. terrain?
1: Uh, Take your time. It's not a race. I think people rush themselves through or they get nervous because somebody's watching them. Uh, If somebody's spotting you, take one person's advice and tell the rest to go away. One of my pet peeves is somebody who's spotting another guy jumps in, think it's like, and I always tell the driver, you decide who you want. Like, I'm not going to kick these guys out, but you can only have one. You know, and don't be afraid of the winch. So many people think it's like shameful to grab your winch cable and they'll have this like $2,500 winch set up on their $2,000 bumper and they'll be afraid to grab it because what will people say? No, that's why you have it. Grab like the a winch. It's
2: pride for people to not yeah. use them.
1: Yeah. And, and you don't be prideful and, and air down. The number one thing you could do to your vehicle to make it more capable off road is airing down. 100%. You know, everybody thinks, and beadlocks are, <laughs> nobody overlanding needs bead locks. You, <laughs> do, you don't need it. They're dangerous. You have to torque them. You can get injured if you do it improperly. There's no, if you're overlanding and have a load, there's no reason to ever be below 15 or 14 PSI. And at that, at that PSI with the weight you're carrying, you're not cutting the wheel enough to, to pull a bead anyway. Don't run beadlocks. Like on my AV wheels, I have it in protection ring mode because I can replace the ring. And it doesn't scratch up my wheel. That makes sense. D- don't, I would, the other thing I would say is a stock vehicle is incredibly capable. Learn your stock vehicle and get comfortable with it first. Don't feel like you have to have all the upgrades everybody else does. Because if you don't understand stock, you're not going to understand modified. It's kind of like if you haven't had a bad day, you can never really understand what a good day looks like, right? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, I think too many people go and make a Frankenstein vehicle of all these great brands that never were designed to work together. So do do simple mods at a time. Figure out if they work together. Don't do not do a whole, oh, I'm going to go drop $50,000 the day I buy it and you know have it completely done with all these different parts. Unless it's maybe like an AEV, which it has been holistically designed for all the parts to work sure, together. Sure, sure. But too many people rush out and they build their vehicle and then they're not happy about it or they get death wobble or they get an issue. And it's like, did that issue exist before it was stock? Well, I don't know because I never drove it stock. And so you don't really have a baseline to start from. And I think ego gets a lot in the ways of of people. I think that's when mistakes are made. Don't be, there's no shame. And, you know, Chris Collard is one of those guys who's, who always has a good quote and he said it best. Good roads bring Bad people, bad roads bring good people. Be respectful of the people you run across on the trail because you're not calling AAA. You may be calling that guy to come back yeah, and save. You, you may need them. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I recently on Four Wheeler of the Year this year, we get up the backside of Big Bear in California. We just had a uh, ice storm. And about five miles of the trail with a sheer drop on the north side of the mountain facing Johnson Valley is a sheet of ice. And we've got all stocked vehicles. And there's a, a girl who's absolutely petrified who's been stuck up there for two and a half hours. Cause she felt her Jeep slip and she just parked it. And we get to her and we're like, Hey, you know, are you okay? She's like, no, like, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I'm, I'm scared. I'm going to, you know, I mean like heart stopping, can't breathe, yeah. full on panic attack. And I said, it okay. Be terrifying. It was enough ice where I couldn't, I could barely walk next to the vehicle to get up to her. So we talked for a while, kind of earned her trust. And I said, I said, do you, would you like one of us to drive it? And she goes, yeah, could you? And I said, well, or I'll walk with you and you drive it. And I said, I'm going to even walk on the passenger side. So if you go down the hill, I go with you because that's how I know you're not. I'm going to show you that I trust that we're not going to go down the hill. I'm going to be between you and the fall. (laughs) Okay. And so we worked on it for about 20 minutes, like literally inches at a time. So, okay. It's not going to do anything. Oh, it just slipped. No, no. It fell into a hole. It's icy. It's fine. By the end of that, she was driving and talking to me. She was going, you know, 10 miles an hour. I hop in with her. She had some friends that met her. The rest of the day, all she did was drive on ice. And she, I, I got her Instagram and, and we've become <laughs> friends. And she texted me and she said, that moment of your patience walking me through, the, all the rest of the day, I felt had so much confidence. All I did was drive on the ice all day long. <laughs> and I had a blast. Yeah, and that goes awesome. to like taking care of people and not letting the ego get in the way. And I didn't go, oh, you know, what the hell are you doing up here? You don't belong here. These aren't the right tires for ice. So you, you've never done yeah, the ice before. So cagey, what? Yeah. Right. And it's like, what do you need? What do you need to feel comfortable? Let's get you down the road. You, you've got a, a great built vehicle. You can do it. this. Is mental. Let's walk you through it. And, yeah. And I, I just, I, I've seen so many people be dismissive of other wheelers oh, I don't like their vehicle. I don't like their setup. Or I don't like whatever. Or or somebody driving being like, I don't want to pull my winch because they're going to think less of me. It yeah. has nothing to do with anything. They're the
2: same people who don't like beginners, but they were- yeah. But they were they they all are are a beginner. beginner. Yeah, but they are, a beginner. yeah. Yeah, they are, are beginners. beginners. Yeah. They never stop learning. and course. of course. Uh, they started a year before that yeah. person.
1: The other thing I would say, I enjoy spotting people. Always say passenger and driver. That's right. Never say right and left that's because right. you're right and left. And that's how people have accidents. And you see, You know, the qualified captain equivalent of a dude, you know, ass over tea kettle coming down a, uh, you know, from a bad spot. Say driver or passenger, use hand gestures. Um, I always keep so, you know, for, for most people who don't have a ham license, GMRS with a 10 year family license is the, is kind of the best thing going. It's, it's, it's really great plug and play consumer out of the box. Midland makes some great radios. They make great radios. You replace the CB. You don't need to have the technical acumen of a ham radio. They're perfect for the next generation of consumers wheeling. What I like about them is you can still have the handheld ones. So I have my hard Mount Midland and I also have a Midland X talker hanging off my, uh, off my grab bar. So, if I hop out and everybody on the trails on it, I take my radio with me so I can spot them and they can hear me. Yeah. So, always grab, if you've got a GMRS, g- grab the little walkie-talkies because they can become invaluable if you've got to walk away from the group or you've got to spot somebody. And, and you know, a lot easier than yelling at somebody with the engine or or whatever. Yeah. And and somebody's not embarrassed because you're like, no, idiot, Le- drivers. Right yeah. now, you're on the radio. Okay, a little bit more, a little bit more. Yeah. And you can be a little bit more calming than it is if you're trying to talk over exhaust or engine sounds or a crowd gathering things like that
0: yeah totally what other questions you got for sean
1: i want to know about your new magazine yeah exactly oh yeah so uh so i recently uh left uh motor oh, trend man,
2: I like this for you
1: <laughs> so i recently left motor trend and uh, i've got a, a lot going on I, i'm never somebody that does anything halfway so I don't know what the future is going to hold. So I'm kind of hedging my bets and I got involved in a lot of things. So uh, I took over our podcast, the truck show podcast. We've been doing that for five years, which is a great podcast, by it, the way. It's uh, it's, it's great if you're into trucks and busting with your buddies and having a good time. And, and uh, we've, we've got great interviews and we just have fun with it. I own that now, which is, which is huge. And then I started a new company called Use for Adventure. And that's sort of like freelance marketing, consulting, and adventure stuff. And then the third project I'm involved in is this new magazine here, which is uh, called OVR. So it's Outdoor Vehicle Recreation. Um, Four-wheeler, unfortunately, was canceled. And so the print magazine's not around anymore. And a friend of mine who was a Motor Trend alumni who started Recoil, this is his baby. He's been trying to get me over here for two years. My leaving Motor Trend and four-wheeler being canceled coincided with the launch of it. And they gave me an opportunity to uh, buy in uh, as a minority partner in the magazine. And it fits the perfect space. We were talking earlier. I think it's sort of, you know, not as aspirational as Overland Journal is, but a little bit more technical and a little broader than maybe Tread. It's kind of that middle ground that I think four-wheeler lived in really well. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah.
1: And it's OVR hints at overlanding, but it's about... Wheeling, it's about gear. Um, you know, there's not a lot of magazines, maybe you guys, and I can't really think of any others. There's not a lot of people who do gear review from the vehicle based exp- exploration perspective. You go to Gear Lab or Outdoor, some of those it's always like we really love this mattress but we couldn't take it with us because it was too heavy for a backpack or didn't stow and i'm like that's exactly the mattress i want <laughs> for my you know rooftop 10 or my shift pod or something yeah, right sure so you know i think you know it'll be great to be able to give those kinds of advice and gear review from the from the backcountry traveler vehicle based exploration plan on doing destinations trail rides tech you know maybe not as hardcore as four-wheeler was but you'll still get a lot of that. It's an oversized package, just like Recoil Magazine was. It's the same team that did the design for this and the design for that. Hey, it looks great. I'm excited. I think it's going to be really cool. It's sort of a dream come true for me. I've I worked for somebody else my entire life. I worked for the same people for almost 20 years. To have the opportunity to, to be an entrepreneur and get on the ground floor of you know, something that I, I really believe in, the space to still be able to start a, a company, helping other companies in the space, um, and then to, to maintain ownership or to take over ownership of the podcast I started five years ago. Um, the future's bright, it's it's super exciting. I kind of am breathing, you know, drinking through a fire hose right now, you know? <laughs> a lot of spaghetti on the wall, we'll see what what what, what sticks. The, the world is pretty exciting and lots of options, so. Uh, we're
0: super proud of you, Sean. I mean, I've Thank known you. you for a long time. I've always been so impressed with your attitude. You've always had a positive attitude. And you've done a good job of maintaining not only professional friendships, but a great reputation in the industry. And that's going to that. serve you really well as you go on to these new things. And it's just been so fun to have you on our podcast.
1: Well, I, I appreciate the, uh, the invite and being able to make it happen. Like I said, I, I think um, you know, the key to, to my success was when I started in the magazine world, I wanted to be in the off-road space. I realized that everybody wanted to drive a Ferrari or Lamborghini, and they ended up driving minivans. And you have this entire room full of minivan experts. I'm like, this—that's boring. You know, forget the exotics. I want to go drive off-road vehicles. And you know, when I came up with, you could count on one hand the number of people that were well versed OE trucks and aftermarket. It was maybe Allison Harwood, Mark Williams, John Stewart, maybe Rick Payway to an extent. And I just realized like putting myself in that company where I could go on both sides of the OE and aftermarket fence and really follow my passions. And, you know, I've always been somebody who values the relationships with people. And, you know, people are like, are you mad about Motor MotorTrain? I'm like, no, they gave me a tremendous opportunity. I had an amazing 20 years. I, I, I put a post out and I said, uh, you know, Johnny Hunkins had said it best. He said, we have the best job in the world one day at a time. Because we all know that it's the magazine world's been volatile. We, I had seven ownership changes in the 20 years I was there. Yeah. I had a lot of those one days strung together. I was very fortunate, very blessed to, to be able to have that lifestyle and to experience those things. I, I've been wheeling on four continents. I know I haven't been to Antarctica like you have. <laughs> you're, you're one of two people I know with the Antarctica passport uh, stamp, which is super awesome. Uh, but I got to wheel on four continents. I've, I've gotten to you know, wheel in Africa and Australia and New Zealand and the Sahara sand dunes. When we were out there with Nissan, Yeah, that was so good. Europe, you know, with Land Rover, uh, Canada, I've raced in the Baja 1000. We won with Josh Hall. I uh, got to know people like Gail Banks and Rod Hall before he passed away and all these greats of the industry, um, you know, the Jay Leno's of the world. And it just to, 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 have those experiences I've lived five lifetimes and and have gotten the access that people dream about. No, I'm not bitter at all. I'm I'm excited and and, yeah, and you're just getting started. And I'm man. just getting started now because I get yeah, to go not, out on my you're, own.
0: You're an, you're a young guy still. You got it all all I, ahead. I don't
1: know when I, nobody tells you when you when you hit 45 that there's a lot of noises and things that hurt. And I'm like, what is this, right? All right my uh, my oldest daughter's uh, 15. She'll be 16 this year. My youngest is five. And I think with my oldest kid, I was like the young, cool, energetic dad. <laughs> and with the little one, I'm like the old, tired. Wow, where'd all my energy go, Dad? Right. But uh, but yeah, no, it's it. This is. I, I love the space. I love the people to see what you've done with this, this magazine and company. I mean, how many years has it been? 15? Oh, it's going to be 20 years oh my gosh. In, fe- in February gosh, since we started. it's X-crazy. crazy. West. Yeah. That's crazy. I mean, just to see the growth that you guys have done and you know, people come and go out of these industries, y- you know who the real deals are and the people that stay, you know, I-, I think this industry is a lot more special than other ones because of the closeness of community. It's, it's yeah. a, it's a small world out here. It is. Th- it's, it's funny, you know, you're a five hour drive from me, but I may not see you until we're in Europe or Africa, <laughs> totally, right? I mean, it's totally. just, it's yeah, crazy. It's you'll be, you'll, you'll be at some media thing and, yeah. and you know, you flew 12 hours to get there. Like <laughs> I could have just driven to see you. Right? Uh, it's, it's special. We're, we're lucky to, to be a part of it. And, and I appreciate your kind words and, uh, and supporting me and, Oh man, it's amazing. awesome. No, it's been so
0: impressive what you've done. Any other questions, Matt? Want to have a beer? Yeah, I, could, I could go for
1: a beer. Right <laughs> I, hold on. Let me check with HR. Yeah, yeah we're good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sean, thanks so much for being on the podcast. And we thank you all for listening. And we'll talk to you next time.